My name is Megan. I'm the teaching pastor here at Trinity. And this morning we are starting a new series called Everyday Sacred. I'm talking about areas of our life and our world that God often gets left out of, um, but that are big pieces of the lives that we are living. So we're starting today with a conversation about what it means to take God to work. Um, So as we come to that topic, let's spend a moment in prayer together. God, we thank you that you have a purpose and a design for everything in creation. We pray that this morning we would catch a little more of your vision of what this world can be and what our lives can be so that we can live with joy and with purpose in partnership with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as we come into this conversation about work, let me just start by acknowledging the variety of positions in this room and online that we we are kind of coming to this topic with. Um, There are people here today who have a job that is like living their childhood dream. Like I could name names here, I know who some of you are, but you you like love to get up and go, go to work in the morning. You're living the dream. Now, there are some people here, maybe let's name specifically teachers and social workers, who are overworked and underpaid, but who also go to bed at night and think, yeah, there's a sense of meaning in what I do, right? Like it might not always be acknowledged the way that it should be, but there's a sense of inherent meaning to this work. Now, there are others of us here, and I have a bunch of friends who are working right now in the service industry, who for you getting up and going to work in the morning is like going to war. Like, the only thought in your head is just, how am I going to survive this day? Like, abuse from customers, abuse from my boss, like, cruel, mean, gossiping coworkers. Like, you get up in the morning with just this sense of overwhelming dread. There are some people here today who maybe work in a factory or some kind of setting where you're doing a lot of rote work. You've been doing this work for years. It's wearing down your body. Your back hurts. Your feet hurt. The work does not feel meaningful to you at all most days, but at least it's keeping food on the table and the lights on for you and your family, and that's why you do it. And on top of all these different kind of professional places we start, there's a lot of people here who are in retirement. There are students who are still kind of thinking and dreaming about what your work life is going to look like. There are people here with disabilities that prevent them from working in kind of paid positions. There are people who are staying at home with young kids. Like when we, when we have this conversation about work, we're kind of covering the spectrum of the ways that humans exist. But for the purpose of just this conversation today, let me say when we talk about work, we're not just talking about stuff that someone will pay you to do. We're talking much more broadly. Think of your work today as whatever you are spending your life, your energy, your best hours on. That's what we're talking about work. Like, what is the thing that you are giving kind of the heart of your day to? We just heard, read the kind of creation story in Genesis, which says really clearly at the beginning of the Bible here that God is the inventor of work as a part of good creation. And before you all start like hating on God for this terrible idea, I want to look for just a second at what work actually looks like when the story starts here in Genesis. Um, So God puts the first humans in this garden to tend and take care of it. And then we get in one verse, we get this initial kind of scene of what the work of this garden looks like. Um, Chapter 2, verse 19. So the Lord God formed from the fertile land all the wild animals and birds of the sky and brought them to the human to see what the human would name them. 
Now, I like to imagine the scene sort of like a couple of kids in a sandbox where God is forming stuff and like, hey, check this out. So, so God forms this thing and is like, look at this. What do you think of this, Adam? And Adam's like, I think that I'm going to call that thing the satanic leaf-tailed gecko. Somebody knew. <laughs> the satanic leaf-tailed gecko? God's like, you've got a real twisted sense of humor, Adam. But I've got one for you, and so God throws this thing up. What about him? Well, let, let's call him the naked mole rat. The naked mole rat. The level of knowledge in the front row here is crazy. <laughs> like, I mean, just imagine, like, the fun of this scene. Like, God and the, the first human going back and forth, they are shaping the world together. Right? Creation isn't going to be what it's going to be until the two of them are in this kind of playful, creative conversation. We talk all the time about human beings being made in the image of God. That's what verse 27 of the creation story says. Um, humanity has been made in God's image, but what does that actually mean when we say someone's made in God's image? Well, Genesis actually gives a very particular answer to what that means in the very next verse, verse 28. God tells the humans, be fertile and multiply, fill the earth and master it, take charge of the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and everything crawling. What it means to be in the image of God in Genesis is to be given a little piece of God's rule. It's to be given this, this little piece of God's authority and influence to shape the rest of creation. I mean, have you ever wondered on day seven of the creation story, um, we're, we're told that God works for six days, and on day seven, God takes a rest. Like, is God tired from making all the planets? Does God just, like, need a nap here? What is the, what is the author of Genesis trying to say to us? I mean, the reason that there is a seventh day of rest is not that God is tired. God has plenty of energy. The reason for the seventh day of rest is God is moving aside to make room for humanity to step in and influence things. In the, in the theology of the Old Testament, we are living in this seventh day of God where God has stepped back and invited humanity to step forward as influencers over creation. Creation isn't complete until we participate in what comes out of it. So what is actually happening in the story, uh, human beings are given this like plot of ground in a garden. Um, Genesis uses these terms. Humans are supposed to farm it, and another word is like tend there, and to take care of it, to, to guard it, to preserve it. All of this language of gardening, this is a metaphor which basically says human beings have all been given a garden, a plot of ground, that it's our role to nourish and bring to life. If all of creation is this pyramid with God at the very top, the tip of the pyramid, the next level down is human beings, and we're supposed to be using our power, our authority, our influence, the same way that God uses God's power and authority and influence to bless and nourish and bring to full life and flourishing everything else that's beneath us, to, to shape everything that's beneath us in this creation into its full designed life. That's our role. You, you all know I don't use Hebrew very often in my sermons, but I want to introduce you to just one Hebrew word today. Um, the word avodah, this is a Hebrew word, um, and you would never notice it when it shows up because we translate it different in English. Um, but this verse in Exodus 3, 12, 
says, after you bring the people up out of Egypt, you will come back here and you will worship. You will avodah God on this mountain. Seems really clear in English. Um, But then look at this verse in Exodus 34. You should do your work, avodah, for six days, but on the seventh day you should rest. How interesting is that? The same word in Hebrew, avodah, means both work and it means worship. It applies to work that's paid, it applies to work that's unplayed, and it applies to worship. What this is telling us is that work is a deeply spiritual thing. It's just as spiritual as singing, it's just as spiritual as prayer, because we are designed as world shapers together with God. To to be world shapers is part of how we are participating in our God-given role in creation. That, That power for world shaping is like deeply woven into us, whether we use it for good or we use it for ill. The power doesn't go away because it's part of who we are as the image of God. We inevitably shape whatever it is we touch. So this is the kind of big picture. Like work is designed, work in the original design, it's not toil the way we think of toil because it's done in a good environment. When you plant things in the beginning, things grow. There's a sense of satisfaction in knowing that you're participating in something meaningful and you're making an impact. Um, The problem is that whatever human beings touch, we have a way of corrupting. Like, God has a great plan, and we have a way of stepping into that plan and kind of twisting everything in a strange direction. So, so when human beings begin to kind of take control of the work system on our own, what happens? Well, we end up driving people to endless work without a rhythm of rest. We end up breaking the link between labor and a fair return on labor. I mean, we design systems where human beings end up just as like a cog in a machine rather than a meaningful participant in what's coming out. Work isn't what it should be. We don't experience it as it should be because we have unleashed this kind of chaos in creation that the Bible tends to call the curse, but it basically just means humans taking things, turning them upside down. Now, the good news of the New Testament is that we have inflicted this kind of curse on creation where work has become labor. It's become hard, but Jesus has come to undo the curse. He's come to reverse the ways that we have twisted everything up. And this is a phenomenon that the New Testament refers to as new creation. Where Jesus gets involved, what begins emerging from the world is new creation. It's a redesign. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, like, Christians, people who are in Christ, are a part of this new creation, this return to things as intended and as designed. So so if the labor part of work is the part that we've kind of messed up, and Jesus is returning things to the new creation design, then what does it mean for us to live as inhabitants of new creation? Like, what does that actually mean for our work lives? Well, I think the first thing it means is that the original commission holds. Every single person here today has been given some plot of soil. Remember, we're talking metaphorically here. We're not talking land, but we're talking about some kind of metaphoric plot of ground that we've each been entrusted with, and our job is as rulers under God to bring that plot of soil, that that sphere of life, into its God-intended fullness. 
Your role is to take whatever strength, whatever wisdom, whatever gifts, whatever love that is in you, and bring that plot of ground that you've been given into its fullest life. Now, let's clarify a couple things. Um, Number one, your garden, your plot of soil, is not only the thing that somebody is willing to pay you to do. You might get paid to tend this plot of ground. You might not get paid to tend it. This is a conversation that's way bigger than your employment. And this is where I think the whole language of American retirement gets in Christians' heads and it kind of confuses and messes with us. Christians do not retire. We just get reassigned new plots in the garden. Right? Like you're, if you have strength in your mind, your strength in your body, you've still got a garden. You've still got a plot. Like maybe nobody's paying you for it anymore, but as long as you're here, God has something for you. You have a plot of ground. Um, number two, let's clarify this. What we are talking about is not a kind of middle-class conceit about certain jobs that have inherent meaning and certain jobs that don't. I am, I am very aware that there's a whole spectrum of jobs and some of them feel really meaningful and some of them don't at all. Your job does not have to be the locus of your personal sense of meaning and significance. Like, if the reason you are working in this job right now is because you need to tend yourself and your family and this is the way you do it, there's honor in that, right? Like, your, your family is a plot of ground that needs tending and sometimes the paid work you do is to keep food on the table for them and there's honor and there's dignity in tending that garden that is your family and your body, Right? But, but that being said, almost every job, and I, I spent a lot of time thinking about this week, there's a narrow range of jobs where I'd say this is not true because there are ethical concerns involved, but in, in almost every ethical job, at some level, that job takes part in this interconnected web of human flourishing. Unless there's an ethical issue, almost every job we have is somehow participating in this larger web of how we human beings take care of each other. And human societies have this really cruel and arbitrary way of assigning high status to some jobs in this web of connection and really low status to other jobs. But it's really important to name that God is not impressed with our status hierarchies and our status hierarchies are not in any way an accurate reflection of the worth of the work we're doing for that web of human flourishing. In uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about the church, and he makes a statement that I think is just as applicable to all of our work as it is to work specifically in the church. He talks about each person as, as a body part, a piece of a larger body, and he says the parts of the body that people think are the weakest are the most necessary. The parts of the body that we think are less honorable are the ones we honor the most, we the church. The private parts of our body that aren't presentable are the ones that are given the most dignity. God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts with less honor, so there won't be any division in the body, and so the parts may have mutual concern for each other. Think about that as a vision of work in the church. God has given greater honor to the parts that get less honor in the status hierarchies of the world. I don't know a lot of people socially that give a ton of honor to the garbage collectors, but, you know, the garbage collectors are one of the reasons disease is not running rampant through our entire society. The work they do is literally saving lives. 
mean, we like to make jokes about IRS agents, about people who are doing our taxes, but they are ensuring that there are roads and bridges and crucial things that we need so that all of us can function in the rest of our labor. There are people in factories whose jobs feel meaningless to them, but they are making the bottles that contain the pills that get to us to save our lives. Like, that's how this interconnected web of human flourishing works. And the kingdom of God sees that big picture. It sees how all of these threads are kind of holding together and gives honor to the difference of each of these individual threads and roles that, that are holding us all up. And when, when we serve in whatever role we have, like whatever plot of ground we've found ourselves in, when we serve in that way, building other people up for good, we are acting like God. Whatever role we have to play, when we are doing it to lift others up, we are being godlike in our actions. It's just an interesting thought to sit with. Like, there is nothing beneath the labor and concern of God, so there's certainly nothing beneath our labor and concern. We are being godlike when we care for each other in these small, humble, invisible, but highly important ways. That's how God behaves. And I think when we really start thinking about it that way, there's just so much dignity to the work that we've been given. Like all of us have the power, whatever our kind of plot of ground, to be God imitators on that soil. Just one more clarification with all of this. For those students who are out there, um, I, I talked to so many uh, teenagers and young adults and people all through their 20s who are just feeling such an intense sense of burden and angst about finding the right job. Like, which is, which is the profession? Which is the thing that God has told me to do? Now, it's worth saying we live in a society where we have a lot of choices, and it's always good to be able to use our choices in, in a helpful, healthy way, perhaps to find a job that suits the talents, the energy that God has given us. That's always worth considering. But there's a really big but. I think the stakes of this conversation are way, way lower than Christians make them out to be. Whether you end up in, as a CEO of a company or the janitor cleaning the bathrooms, as far as God is concerned, as far as your faith is concerned, your task is more similar than it is different. Your task is to bring a taste of God's reign to that place that room, that plot of ground where you find yourself, whether it's the boardroom or the bathroom, your task is to bring a taste of God's reign right there. To, to make that place, wherever you find yourself, a place where God's goodness, God's justice, God's reign, God's life flourishes. I mean, all of us, no, no matter where our circumstances, our choices, the combination of life events have brought us, all of us as human beings in the image of God are rulers under God who've been entrusted with the flourishing of some piece of ground at this moment for this time. So we should be asking ourselves questions like this. How do I weed this literal garden, this literal plot of ground, so that the corn in it can grow up to its greatest height? How do I push this elderly person in the nursing home so that they feel their preciousness to God? How do I cradle this infant so that their brain development, 
leaves them with such a sense of safety that they can grow from here to whatever God designed them to be. How do I file these papers and how do I answer this phone so that other people are as free as possible to do the thing God has called them to do? How do I feed these people? How do I bring the food to their tables so that they have a chance to celebrate, to reconnect in their relationships, to be rested and recovered for the work God has called them to do? I mean, ask your version of the question for whatever your plot of ground is. Wherever we are, God's power is expressed through lifting other people. God's power is always expressed through lifting others. You are a ruler under God who's been empowered with this dignity and with this authority to lift other people up. And some of us are doing jobs where we rarely get noticed, we never get thanked, and yet we are carrying heavy weights on behalf of a whole lot of other people. If that's you, or if you are in one of those jobs that is largely invisible and rarely gets thanked, but carries weight for other people, know that you more than anyone look like God in the work that you're doing. This is how God works, operates all the time. Like you have the dignity of God in that. Even in an environment where you have very little control, an environment that may be bad, that may still have the marks of human chaos and the curse all over it, In that environment, maybe your plot of ground, maybe your garden that God has given you to tend is the people around you, your coworkers. Maybe your work in that place is to preserve the life and the hope and the possibility in them. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are ambassadors who represent Christ. This is your job description as a Christian. You are an ambassador representing Jesus and his kingdom, a different kind of world. So whatever you work you do, whatever you're giving your energy to, when you are doing that work, you are doing it as an ambassador who is representing another place, another world that's coming. And your job in the work that you do is to make the case, not just through your words, but through your actual actions, to make, to make the case for why the kingdom of God is a great place to be and a great place to be a part of. I love that Paul says in one of his letters in Colossians 3, he's talking to a group of people who have really hard, really bad work that they have little control over. And he says to them, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. He says the conditions may not be good here, but you still have dignity. You still have a role to play in representing a different world. You can partner with me in that. I mean, whatever that plot of ground is where you find yourself and wherever you're there, that play, in that place you can be an ambassador of a kingdom representing the desire of Jesus for all things to come to life. So my invitation to you today is just to consider a couple simple questions. Number one, what is your garden? whether you're retired, whether you're a student, whether you're doing paid work, whatever your circumstances right now, what is the plot of ground you are currently standing on that you have been entrusted with? Number two, what would that plot of ground look like if it was fully alive? In the kingdom of God, in all of its fullness, fully alive, what would that plot of ground you're standing on look like 
And number three, what is something that you can do to call that piece of ground into greater flourishing? What is something that is in your power to do that will call that piece of soil you've been entrusted with to greater flourishing? They're simple questions, but I think they're transformative questions. As we come into a time of prayer, I just want to remind you, we're having conversations after worship at 1030 and double take. Um, If you'd like to talk more about what does this mean in your profession and ask other people some questions about what this looks like, let's have some more conversation together later this morning about the real practice of this in our actual lives. I'm going to invite Scott up here with me at this time. And we're going to do a little bit different kind of prayer today as a closing prayer. Um, We decided that we wanted to spend some time interceding for people who are doing different kinds of work across our world, across our society, and we want you all to participate in this. Um, So what we're going to ask you to do as we come into prayer is just call out the names of some different professions that come to mind. Um, When we hear one, we're going to pause for a second. Either Scott or I are going to pray just briefly for the people of that profession. and We invite you to join us with your own intercessions for people who are doing that kind of work. And then when it goes silent again, just pop another profession out there. And let's spend some time praying for workers across all the kind of field of the world. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray right now that you and your love would call to mind the many workers who are tending this glorious, messy creation of yours. Show us how we can intercede for them and for the calling you've given them for their plot of ground. God, we pray for those who operate small businesses in the the tension still of figuring out COVID and and the reality of being ministers to those who, who work in that business. May they have your grace, your mercy, and a vision of humanity that reflects your kingdom. Lord, we pray for people who put their hands on bodies for the sake of healing, um, in massage, and in so many forms that just allow muscles to relax, bodies to be restored. We pray for strength in their hands and that they would be conduits of your healing, restoring power. God, we pray for those who teach our young. May they have this sort of compassion that reflects um, the image of humanity that goes beyond themselves and your own children they minister to, but the reality of a world that continues to grow because of their work. May they be beacons of hope for the many children who will come to them without that. Lord, we pray for those who work the ground, who often go in our culture unseen and unthanked. We pray that you would bless the works of their hands, that they would see you in the soil that they're tending, and that their lives and families would just rest under the shadow of your grace and protection. God, we pray for nurses who serve you in a wide range of areas as they minister directly to people who are injured and need help. May they be treated well and be able to treat others well because of that. May your mercy and protection extend to them.
Lord, we pray for students. Thank you for these lives that are taking shape under your hand and your design. We pray for just clear minds, for healthy bodies, and for dreams, <laughs> dreams of the new world that you are creating, this new creation you're planting, and of ways that they can participate in what you're doing. God, we pray for pilots and all who serve in transportation, uh, allowing us to move across this country, this world, with, uh, with far greater ease than ever before. We ask that you would give them uh, continued hearts of service for the people who, who come and join them as they transport others. May they be clear ambassadors of your kingdom. Lord, we pray for our truck drivers who spend um, so much time providing critical connections for so much in our world, um, but often spend that time alone. I pray that even now for the, the cabs of those truck drivers who are out on the road, that they would be filled with your presence and spirit and just grow in, a, in an awareness that you are near, that there would be a sense of companionship to their work, that you would protect them and just give them wisdom in, in using that time in their minds and their bodies in ways that bring wholeness to them and just great joy to you. God, we pray for those who, uh, who take care of our technology, those who fix it, those who make it, who have made so many things available to us. We ask that they would feel fully integrated into your kingdom, that their work serves people who continue to, uh, to serve the world around them, and they would see that kind of networking that they're able to accomplish because of their skills in fixing networking, because of their skills in allowing communications to continue between people. Lord, we pray for our retirees, and just thank you for the gift they've been given of a chance to lay aside um, their previous paid labor for a while. I, I just pray for fresh visions and fresh dreams for them, that they would find new plots of ground where you have work to do, that their hearts and minds would be drawn. Lord, that their freedom would be used in ways that cause greater flourishing now than in any chapter before, and that they would feel great joy and peace in that. God, we pray for those people who have been given the opportunity to serve uh, their communities in political service, those who are appointed, those who are elected, and those who seem to find themselves there even though they didn't plan on it. We ask that you would give them a vision of mercy themselves, that they would look upon the world around them and, sit and see their role, that they would do the least harm possible, create the most good possible, and at all times recognize that you are are the true ruler of this world and that they, that they are limited not only in their power but in where they should extend it. Lord, we pray for all those who live on disability. Lord, who struggle to make ends meet but who still have so much to give. I, I pray for the gifts that they have been given that you would just anoint and release those gifts and open the people around them to receive them. Lord, that even the gift of listening would be blessed with the power of your spirit so that it would produce 
freedom and um, new life, that their wisdom would be heard and it would take root. God, we pray for those who arrive at the scene of accidents and tragedies where the rest of us run away and they run toward that tension and pain and suffering, providing immediate care. We know that the trauma they experience is great, so we ask that you would ease their minds with your spirit, that you would heal their souls from what they have to experience, what they take on for all of us. We trust that you are more powerful than that and that you can take that. Lord, we pray for all those who are working with immigrants and refugees, um, specifically here in our community where there are many people um, doing this work. Pray that you would just renew their hope, um, give them strength and patience when they're weary. Um, give them just clear insight and understanding of the people they're walking with and loving so that bridges can be built and connections can form and new homes can be found. God, we, we pray for church leaders, those who are uh, tasked with the role of managing, serving, uh, teaching, and leading in congregations across this world. May we have both strength and humility in measures that are reflecting the beauty of your kingdom so that we can do not only of the good works you have before us, but that we can do good work in those good works. Lord, Lord, we pray for those who do the work of interpretation and translation, who help enable us to hear each other more clearly. We pray your blessing on them for open eyes and ears. Lord, we pray that you would call more people to this work of learning the languages of others so that we can love each other better across a, different, a wide spectrum of diversity in this world. God, for the many jobs that have not been listed, for the work that gets done on a daily basis, for those people who don't have official jobs but labor in families, for those people who labor in, in ways which are not healthy, in ways that don't produce good fruit, we ask, we ask that you would bring them uh, both a sense of comfort and rescue. We ask that you would give us eyes to see them when the world does not. For the many roles which our society needs, but does not honor, we recognize that you honor greatly. May we all reflect that as well. May we be a church which reflects the beauty of your upside-down kingdom in recognizing that work doesn't have to be labor and that we can find ways to honor all. We love both the kingdom you are building and the people whom you have chosen to be building it. May we all see ourselves then as laborers, first and foremost, for your kingdom. Amen.